Well, good morning. How many of you know what it feels like to feel rejected or abandoned? Not a good feeling, is it? It's very painful if you've ever been rejected or abandoned. Whether you're in this room or you're watching online, listen, I know many of you can relate. Maybe you had a spouse that walked out and broke your heart. Maybe for you it was a parent or maybe both of your parents that walked out when you were a kid or when you were a teenager and you felt rejected or abandoned. Maybe for you it was a girlfriend or a boyfriend that rejected you. For some it was a close friend. Maybe it was an employer. Maybe it was an employee. And I think what we can agree is it hurts deeply when you're rejected. But can I tell you something that's worse than feeling rejection or abandonment from those around you? Is if you've ever been in a position where you felt rejected or abandoned by God. If you've ever been in a position where you're going, God, where are you? God, why is this happening to me? God, why is this going on in our world? God, why all the pain? God, why did they turn their back on me? Why did they walk away? God, do you even care? God, do you even hear me? Ever been there? For some, if the truth were known, that's exactly where you are today. I'll never forget the day that my mom told me as an eight-year-old boy that her and my dad were getting divorced. I can't remember all the details, but there's some details that stick in my mind. My first reaction was to say, no, you're not. I didn't even know as an eight-year-old kid what the reality of divorce meant. What would that do to me and my sister who was four years older and my brother who was eight years older? But I can remember coming home for the first time and my dad had moved his stuff out. I can remember work walking down the stairs and normally seeing my dad, but my dad wasn't there. I remember thinking, why is this happening to me? Did I cause it? God, where are you? How, how would you allow this to happen? Why is my mom and daddy not together at Christmas anymore? I felt abandoned in some way. 
And here's what I know now as an adult. When people feel that way, when you have those feelings, when those things have happened to you, especially a father, it changes how we relate to God. It, it can cause you, because of the pain that others have caused on you and they're abandoning you or rejecting you, you can get to the point where you just kind of push back on God. I've seen it time and time again. In my 36 years of pastoring and working with people, I've seen what happens to people often when they're abandoned by other people that they transfer that to God. I've seen people that end up getting mad at God because of what people did to them, and they're trying to figure out, God, why did you allow it? Where were you? Don't you care? Don't you hear? And they start doubting God. Sometimes they even run away from God instead of running to God. I've seen people get so angry at God that they say, God, are you even real? I've seen people get so angry at God that they curse God, leaning in to the things of God. But can I tell you, we serve a God who understands. We have a Savior who understands abandonment and rejection. If you would, take out your message outlines that were handed to you when you came through. If you're a note taker, great. You can fill in and watch the big screen. As we go on this journey, you can make your own notes. Today, we're wrapping up our series called Hashtag God I Doubt. If you've missed any of them, you can go back and take those in. Next week, you're not going to want to miss. We're going to kind of do a standalone version of True Crossroads Story in a Go edition. As we've just had some folks come back from Rome or from Honduras, and we're setting up for next year's mission trips to Romania and to Honduras, and you're not going to want to miss some of those True Crossroads stories next week. But I want to start this morning by looking at Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Here's what it says. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Greek word for cried out literally means in the English language to scream. Literally, Jesus screamed on the cross. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken means to be rejected. It means to be deserted, to be let go, abandoned. And I think about Jesus on his last day here on earth. Before he was crucified, he had been abandoned by everyone around him. Judas, one of his 12 disciples, abandoned him, turned his back on him. The crowd that had cheered Jesus on had left him. His own disciples left him. 
And then Jesus was beaten. They whipped him. They spit on him. They humiliated him. And then they nailed Jesus to a cross. Nails in his hands. Nails in his feet. He was carrying your sins. He was carrying my sins. And because Jesus took your sins and mine on himself, the Bible shares that the heavenly Father abandoned Jesus. He had to turn his back on his own son in that moment. Today, with our time together, I want us to process And I want us to learn some right responses when you feel abandoned by God. I want us to take those from Scripture, of course, and from the life of Jesus. And I want us to learn to get it right when we have these feelings and we wonder, God, are you there? And God, have you abandoned me? We might feel like that, but is that really what's happened? And how can we respond in an appropriate manner when we have these real feelings? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? So I want to give you three responses today. Number one, if you're taking notes, remind yourself God loves you and is with you. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, even on your worst day, God is with you. God has not left you. He will not leave you. Even on your worst day, the worst decision you ever make, God is with you. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never, everybody say never. Never, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We've got to get in our minds, even if we feel alone, we're not alone as followers of Jesus. And we've got a promise from God, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Because God is with you, you're never alone. Look at Matthew 28, verse 20. It's the back end of that verse, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, Jesus says, to the very end of the age. No matter how you might feel right now, God is with you. You may feel isolated today, but God is with you. You might feel abandoned today, but God is with you. You might feel lonely today, but I want you to know as a follower of Jesus, God is with you. I know it might be hard for you right now, but God is with you. You might be confused right now, your thoughts all discombobulated, but God is with you. You are not alone. And if we're not alone, and we're not because God is with us, then you need to take your hard questions to God. Take your hard questions to God if you're taking notes Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses and he faced all the same testings we do, 
yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly on the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God's word instructs us as believers to go to the throne of grace boldly. God can handle our bold requests, our bold concerns, our bold prayers. He can handle them. And listen, he's not intimidated by your tough questions or your hard questions or mine. He's listening, and he cares, and he'll never leave you. So you can take his question. It's not like, oh, too bad, that's too hard of a question. I can't believe you have the audacity to ask that. I'm done with you. That's not God. God, why did this happen? That's a hard question. God, why did they die? Why did she die? Why did he die? Why did he leave me? Why did they leave me? God, why didn't I get accepted into the college that I wanted to? God, why didn't I get the job? God, God why, why did the divorce happen? God, why the cancer? Why the constant migraines that I can't shake? God, why are there starving children across the globe? Why all the wars? Why all the natural disasters? Why human trafficking, God? God, why all the hatred? Why all the abuse? Why the pain? God, why don't you intervene? Hard questions. You can take them all to God. God, I know you're powerful. Why didn't you show up and do something? You ever ask that? Why didn't you do something? We can take our bold questions to God. And here's what Scripture says. When you take those tough questions to God, when you go boldly to his throne, he says you'll receive what? His mercy, you'll receive his grace, and help when you need it the most. Listen, I've done this time and time again. There's been times in my life where I've been angry. I've been confused. I had those same questions. God, what about this? Why did you allow that to happen? God, why did my mom die only months after giving her heart and her life to you? Why? God, why did my brother die when he was in his 50s? Why? God is no different in my life than he is yours. God doesn't send me emails every time I ask him a hard question. Give me exactly what is going on. Just so you know, I think some people think, oh, you're the pastor. Like, what? Why? Listen, listen, I'm a fellow struggler like you. I'm a follower. He doesn't give us all the answers. You know why? Because, first of all, we couldn't see all that he sees. Second of all, he wants our faith to grow and trust in him. That he'll never leave us. That's one of his promises. But there's been times where I've taken those hard questions to God, hoping to get a clear answer, and sometimes he does give some clarity. Other times, I don't get what I would call a clear answer at all. Sometimes it's just crickets as far as I'm concerned, right? Like, God, I don't really get it here. But you know what? I, when I look back, you know what I've received every time? I receive his grace. I receive his mercy. There, there's a peace that God often gives that the rest of the world can't understand. I know he's with me, and I'm able to make it another day, which is interesting because he talks about 
praying for our daily bread? When's the last time you thank God for the food you have today? When's the last time you thank Him for what He did yesterday? You're taking notes because God is with you. This season is a part of your story. It's not the entire story. We need to be reminded of that, that we're all in seasons, right? Have you noticed life is kind of like a roller coaster ride? There's ups and there's downs. There's slow climbs. There's quick falls. There's quick turns. Jesus was abandoned on the cross, remember? But the story of Jesus being abandoned by God on the cross when when he took his sins on himself and God turned his back on him, you know what we need to be reminded of? That was just part of the story. That's not the entire story. And if you know the rest of the story, you know that was only a part of the story because on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from the grave after giving up his life on that cross. After being beaten, he was put in a grave, and three days later, he defeated death. There was purpose in his pain. Did God love his son? Oh, my goodness. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, the son that he loved, for a purpose, because he loved you and I. He allowed his son to take what we deserve on himself so we could get credit for what Jesus deserved for his perfection. There was purpose in the pain. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve describes this so well on how we can just know part of the story, not the entire story. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then down the road, face to face. Now I know in part. I just have a part of the story right now. Then, later, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Right now, when we're walking around in these earthly bodies, we only know a part of the story. We only have one perspective, and that's from our view, right? We have no idea, God, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? We talked about that last week, in case you want to look that up. We can't see the whole picture, God but I trust you because you do. God, you're writing my story. and We're in this chapter right now. I'm in this situation right now. I'm in this set of circumstances right now, and it's either good or it's not so good or it's horrible, and God, I'm tempted to feel like you've abandoned me, but I'm gonna trust you because I know this is only a part of my story. It's not the entire story. Can I just encourage you today? Don't let this chapter of your life define the rest of your life. God's not done. Jesus hanging on a cross, I can't imagine the pain. He went through more pain than you and I can ever go through. But there was purpose in that pain. God is with you. God will work all things together for the good for those of us who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That's a promise. I know in my life, when I look back on some painful seasons, when I look back at challenging seasons, when I've looked back at times where I've been deeply hurt and wanted to throw in the towel, when I was in those moments, I was like, God, I I don't know if I'm going to make it through. And from my vantage point in those seasons, all I can see is the hurt, the pain, the frustration. I don't see an end in sight. I don't see much hope because I'm so caught up in what's right in front of me. 
Do you know what I've noticed about my own life looking backwards a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years back at those painful moments? I realize that moment was a moment. It was a season. It wasn't my whole life. It wasn't the entire book of the life of Scott Winstead. You've got to remember that. Number two of a right response when you feel abandoned by God is we need to turn our why God questions into what God questions. Whenever you're in a difficult chapter in your life and it feels like God is not listening, God, I don't feel your presence, I don't sense you here, instead of just saying why, God, we need to ask what. God, what do you want to teach me is a great what question. Some of the lessons God wants me to learn, I don't like learning them. The Bible says something very interesting about Jesus in Hebrews 5.8. It says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience. Get this. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. Jesus learned obedience from the pain on the cross. He screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a why question. Understand on the cross, what kept him there was he also knew the what. The what was to restore fallen humanity to a perfect and holy God. He knew the why. He asked the why, but he also knew the what. Whenever you're going through a difficult season or circumstance, why is the what so important? Because we need to turn some why questions into what. Understanding that we're a work in progress, that God wants to do something in us. Because the why questions can cause you to start doubting and questioning God's character and his goodness and his love, but his promises will remind you of his faithfulness. When I want to throw in the towel, I want to tap out. One of the things I'm learning to do is turn my why questions into what? God, what are you trying to teach me? Here's the second what question. God, what do you want to do in me? God, what do you want to do in me? A great example is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul tells his own story of having what he described as a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what he was referring to. It wasn't an actual thorn, but it was some kind of probably physical ailment. Some believe it was his eyesight that was bad. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was something irritating enough to him that three seasons of his life, he basically begged God to remove the thorn from his flesh. He was tired of the nuisance of whatever it was that was ailing him. But I want you to see his response in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Because God didn't do it. It says, or because of these surpassingly great revelations, 
Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Paul had a realization that three times he begged God to remove this thorn in the flesh, but I want you to notice he didn't stay with the why, God. Why did I have this thorn? Why won't you remove it? Why won't you take it away? He didn't ask God 200 times or 2,000 times, but he did ask him at least three times, but he turned his why question into a what question, and Paul finally said, God, what do you want to do in me? And he realized God wanted to keep him from being conceited, to realize that he wasn't God, that he needed God. Because sometimes we think we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? I got this. I don't need anybody. God kind of knew that about Paul, and so he allowed this thorn in the flesh. I don't want to miss what God wants to do in me. I don't want you to miss what God wants to do in you. It could be through the pain that God allows you to finally face some of your challenges. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's greed. Maybe there's a blind spot in your life that you're just kind of doing it your way. God doesn't want you to do it your way. God, what do you want to do in me? And then here's another question to ask God. What do you want to do through me? God, what do you want to do through my life? God, you, you've uniquely created me. There's no one on this earth just like me. There's no one just like me in this season, in this time in history. God, what do you want to do through me? What's my purpose? God, in the pain that I'm going through, what do you want to do through me? Because see, all I want to do is get out of the pain. Why the pain? Why the pain? What do you want to do in the pain? You know what happened on Jesus' worst day ever when he was crucified? He paid the sin and the debt for all of humanity on the cross. On his most painful day ever, when he felt abandoned by God as God turned his back because God could not look at the sin, and it was your sin and mine that Jesus took on himself. But yet God did something powerful through Jesus. And we can celebrate today because that's why we have the offer of forgiveness of sin because there was purpose in Jesus' pain. Jesus said this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, the scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went through what Jesus went through, even though he asked why, because he was focused on the what, what God wanted to do through him, and he was obedient. I think again about Paul and that thorn in his flesh, and God used that thorn that he was asked to take it away, but he didn't. 
that became pretty powerful in Paul's life. He wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament that we still have today. He started churches. He raised up powerful leaders around him, even though he had this thorn in the flesh. You see, what I want you and I to understand is your greatest misery could be your greatest ministry. The thing that hurt you the most, God might want to use the most in and through your life to help other people. You see, God doesn't want to waste a pain or a hurt. And some of you, the things that you need to do are tied to your worst times. I thought about that this week, (laughs) about my life, about my parents' divorce. And again, I want to take you back to an eight-year-old boy who after my parents divorced, my dad would come every other weekend and pick us up. And we would spend the weekend with my dad. It wasn't the same, but it was my dad. I can't tell you the exact timing, but within two or three years at least, my dad remarried. And I'm not gonna talk about the person that he married because I'm sure I'm biased, but by many accounts, it wasn't the best woman in the world. She had several kids from several previous husbands, and she wanted my dad to be a dad to her kids. And I can't tell you everything that went through my dad's mind, but I can tell you, probably from the age of 12 until 18, I could count on one hand how many times my daddy came and picked me up. And I can still remember as a 10 or 11-year-old boy standing at the front door with my bags packed, waiting for my dad to pick me up and take me for the weekend, and my dad never showed up. You know what an 8 or 9 or a 10, 11-year-old kid wonders? I didn't learn this until a few years ago. You don't say, where's my daddy? You say, what's wrong with me? Why wouldn't my daddy want to pick me up? Why would my daddy want to be a daddy to somebody else's kids, but my daddy don't want to be a daddy to me anymore? What's wrong with me? I can remember going to school in sports. It was the only reason I think I went to school. That my mama would have beat me if I didn't go. But I can remember as a young boy playing sports, And when they would have parents' night, you know how that always worked? My daddy wasn't going to be there, and my mama remarried, and she didn't like sports. And so in her head, it made sense not to go, but what my mama didn't understand was to a kid, that doesn't mean you don't like sports. It means what's wrong with me again? And I would lie to my teammates about why my parents wouldn't be there. I remember even in high school having a coach walk with me out because my parents weren't there. I remember asking God, why did my parents get divorced? Why is all my friends, when it's Christmas, have their mom and daddy when they wake up that are there, and why weren't mine? What I learned later is God didn't cause my mom and dad to split up. God didn't cause me to feel abandoned or to feel like, what's wrong with me? 
God so loved me that he sent his one and only son to die for everything I did wrong, for all my sins. Not only that, he died for my mama's sins. He died for my daddy's sins. And at 22 years of age, when I heard this gospel for the very first time in a way that I could understand it, it's what caused me to get on my knees in the floorboard of a pickup truck and a golf course parking lot and gave my heart and life to Jesus. And that's when I realized that I have a God that so loves me that he took all of my hurt and my pain and my sin on himself. And as I look back now, that changed my life in such a way that I'm still doing what I'm doing today because I care about people. I have a burden for people that are hurting. I have a burden for people that don't know that there's one way to heaven. I have a burden for people that feel rejected and feel abandoned because I've been there. But not only have I been there, I serve a Savior who's been there and can relate. God took all my pain, and he's still using it today for his purpose. God will take your greatest misery, and he'll use it for his glory if you'll make yourself available. Let me give you the third right response. When you can't trace God's hand, trust God's heart. When you're going through the tough days, the bad days, the days where you want to throw in the towel and quit, it's important to remember that Jesus is not powerless. The God that I serve, I want you to understand he has power. As a matter of fact, he had so much power that when he was on the cross, he could have called to the Father. He could have called to the angels, and he could have had them take himself down. He could have taken himself off the cross. He had that kind of power, but you know what he did? He chose to stay on the cross, and he trusted the heavenly Father's plan. You know what I believe kept Jesus on the cross? Not the nails, but his love for you and for me. He said we were worth it, which is a big contradictory to the way I felt looking out that door waiting for my daddy to come, what's wrong with me, and then flip the other side about a God that so loved me, he stayed on a cross for me. I want you to catch this. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those were real words. But then he turned right around after that statement and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I still trust you. I commit my spirit into your hands. He turned up the trust when he couldn't trace the hand of God. He didn't understand it fully, but he trusted in his why moment, he said, God, I choose to still trust you. I don't like this, but I trust you. It's painful, but I still trust you. They're hurting me, but I still trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Even though I feel abandoned, 
trust you. Even when I say, God, where are you? Why is this happening? I don't know the answer, but I trust you. When I can't trace your hand, I'm choosing to trust you. I want to encourage you today to trust in God. Trust in the promises of God. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You see, we turn up the trust when we say amen to the promises of God, and amen simply means so be it. It's not easy to say so be it when you're going through your pain and the struggles and the trials, but it's easier to say when I choose to say amen to God's promises. Keep trusting his promises even on your bad days, but you got to know these promises. Promises like Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you nor forsake you. Never. Amen, God, so be it. You are with me. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God, I believe that. I believe that. I trust that. God, you're taking my bad days and you're working for something good. This isn't the whole story. This is just a chapter. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly and above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Amen, God. You're going to do more than I even ask. Promises like Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, amen. God, even with the high gas prices, even with the crazy inflation, I trust you, and I believe you'll provide for me. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen, God. So be it. Your character, God, is not changed when I have a bad day. It's hard, God, but I trust you. It's difficult, God, but I trust you. I don't understand it, God, but I trust you. When I cannot trace your hand, I will choose to trust your heart because you're a good God, a powerful God, and I trust you. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thanks for speaking to us today. God, I pray that our trust in you and your promises rises today. I pray, God, for those that are here, for those that are online that can relate to feeling rejected, to feeling abandoned. God, we see that you felt that way, but in actuality, you weren't abandoned just felt abandoned in that moment, but that was only part of the story. It wasn't the whole story. There was purpose in that pain. 
May we find comfort in your promises. May we choose to trust even when we don't understand. And even when we get confused like an eight-year-old boy, wondering what's wrong with me that my daddy doesn't want to come and get me. You've used that pain to shape and to mold me in a way that I get to share with other people who feel that way. That the answer is I had a sinful daddy. I had a confused daddy. But that led me to a perfect heavenly father who loves me, who will never leave me, never forsake me, that didn't just say he loved me, but he proved it by his actions as he sent his one and only son to die in my place for all I did wrong. If you're here today or you're at home and you've never given your life to Jesus by faith, if you've never admitted that you're a sinner and turned from doing life your way and turn and put your hope in the one and only way to heaven, his name is Jesus, today's your day. You come just as you are. And you'll receive a gift that you can't earn or deserve, the gift of eternal life. You'll have a heavenly father not only wrap his loving arms around you, but forgive you, adopt you into his family, never to be unadopted, and a God that wants a personal relationship with you from this day forward, for the rest of your life, and for all eternity. And the right answer to a gift that's offered that's that indescribable and unbelievable is yes, I receive it. If that's you right where you're at, make this your prayer. Say, God, I don't understand it all, but I know I'm a sinner. And right now I choose to admit it, to ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I repent. I do an about face and I turn from doing life my way and I turn to you as my hope, as my salvation. Jesus, I receive you as Lord and Savior. I gladly receive the gift that I can't earn or purchase, the gift of eternal life, and from this day forward, I'm your child. That'll never change. And I want to learn to love you and to serve you like you love me. I want to Use my life for your honor and for your glory from this day forward. Thank you doesn't even come close to being enough for what you went through so that I could be a recipient of the greatest gift ever. But I say thanks. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen.